0: Hey y'all, this is the first of three podcasts formulated from some teaching I recently did at Hidden Acres Christian Camp.
1: Hey friends,
0: I'm Tori. Welcome to Walk With Me. Walk With Me is a place where real women share real stories of real struggles and joys as they walk together along this rocky road we call life. I'm going to tell you what the weekend's about, and then I'm going to do my first teaching. So hang in there, okay? Okay. I I normally will keep my sessions fairly short so I don't bore you guys, but this one's going to be a little bit longer, but it's pretty interactive, so it'll be okay, so hang in there. Okay, so my name is Tori Haverkamp. I've been dealing with a Rachel, a Rochelle Heisterkamp the whole time I've been planning this. Is that how you say that? Yeah, so those are Dutch names, by the way, and when you have a Dutch name, it always says a K instead of a C, so the camp part, don't spell it with a C, okay? It's a K, heister camp Haverkamp, okay? Remember that? Okay, um, okay. so I am, here's, here's some things that I am. I am a daughter of the king. Amen. I am wife to Brent. I'm mom to four perfect kids plus three bonus in-laws. And I'm a grandma to one exceptionally perfect granddaughter. <laughs> so you probably are going to see her here pretty soon. Not here, but on the screen. So, I'm really glad to be with you here this weekend, and um, it's just an honor for me to be here and you to sit there and listen to me, because these are just things God has put on my heart over the last few years, and I just want to tell you what he has taught me. And so, nothing special, nothing out of the ordinary, but just real honest truth, God's honest truth. Um, Here's the, the retreat theme. Oh, look at that. The retreat theme is God's honest truth. So, some of you may be saying like, hey, what's the, what's the deal with that number sign? Um, <laughs> and if you're saying that, you're probably older, <laughs> okay? So the deal with that number sign, it's actually not a number sign. It's also what we now call a hashtag, hashtag, okay? So here's what I've learned about this new phenomenon in the last few years. Um, a hashtag, and I pulled this off of Google, so those of you who didn't know what a hashtag is, you might need to spend a little more time on Google. So here's what here's what it told me. A hashtag is the pound sign, the sharp note in a musical notation, a tic-tac board. We well, you know what all those are. When it comes to social media, the hashtag is used to draw attention, to organize, and to promote. Hashtags got their start in Twitter As a way of making it easier for people to find, follow, and contribute to a conversation. People just like to use hashtags to give a little more info about their photo, image, or statement. And this is me now. Hashtags, I have also found, with my friends at least, kind of encapsulate the truth of the matter. Okay, so I'm gonna show you exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, let's bring up our first. Okay, here's a hashtag. Okay. This hashtag is hashtag I hate laundry. Okay? I hate it when I finally cut up with the laundry and I see my family walking around the house wearing clothes. So, hashtag I hate laundry. Okay, let's go to our next one. Okay, hashtag relationship goals. Sweet, huh? Okay, when I typed that in to get an image, they weren't all that sweet. But I thought that was pretty cute. Okay. Uh, next one. Okay, hashtag introvert problems. Does that resonate with anybody? Okay. I really, really like that, actually. (laughs) I like that a lot. Okay, next one. Hashtag mom life. Who thinks that looks pretty familiar? Okay, who's escaping from that? Okay, so that, that thing actually says, I've reached a level of tired today that allows for out of control stickers. <laughs> I remember that. Somebody was talking to me when I got here and they said, you know, something about the year 2000. I said, oh, yeah, that's when I started to get my brain back. In the year 91 to 98, uh, it's all a blur. I can't remember anything. I had kids during that time, and it's all very blurry. So, that. Um, All right. So, let's go to the next one. Uh, Who do you think that is? Okay, that's my granddaughter. A little bit old picture, but still pretty cute. Hashtag mood. That not happy me. She's pretty cute. She has hair now, too. Okay, so those are my hashtags. Now, we have a little activity here because I thought you needed to get to know your neighbor because sometimes you sit next to people with these things and it's like, oh man, I hope they don't touch me. You know, So <laughs> I don't want you to do that. So here's the activity. Now listen, before we start our session, here's what I want you to do. Now the older crowd has to listen especially carefully, okay? <laughs> I'm including myself in that. Okay, before we start this session, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say what your day has been like so far. But here's what I want you to do. Okay, example. Today I have felt hashtag so exhausted. Or trying to get my kids in place before I left the house was like hashtag herding cats. (laughs) Or when my friend invited me to this retreat, I resisted because hashtag I really just like to stay home. Okay, now it's your term. turn. Turn your neighbor. Okay, y'all, rain it in. Rain it in. Okay. Okay, when I'm, teaching, when I'm teaching little kids, I have to teach you guys this because you're too chatty. When I'm teaching little kids, I say, give me a coyote. Okay, guys, can you do that? Good, good, good. Give me your coyote, you notice. The coyote's ears are listening, but his mouth is closed. Okay, so if you're struggling, just do your coyote. (laughs) Okay, our family has a hashtag that we like to use in text or email conversations. And it's hashtag, that happies me. That happies me. When our youngest child, Cole, was a toddler, Cole's now 21 and married. When our youngest child, Cole, was a toddler... He would often use the phrase, that happies me, to say when something delighted him or when he was really happy about something. And so we thought it was so cute that our family kind of adopted that as our catchphrase or our hashtag thing. And so when we have events or um, circumstances that really make us happy or make us feel really satisfied, content, we might say, hashtag, that happies me. And so um, this weekend, I want to get you to a place where you can say, that happies me. And because everybody wants a deeply satisfying life. Who here wants a deeply satisfying life? We all do. Okay. Everybody is searching for the something, the somewhere, the whatever that happies them. But often the way we choose to pursue that goal actually pushes it farther away. Girls listen to me. The things that you are believing will happy you, they're not true. Most of them are not true. They're not the things that will bring joy. They're not the things that will feed your soul. We're going to talk about the thing this weekend, um, those things this weekend, and the things that really will give you joy, give you happiness. And I want to lead you towards God's honest truth about him and about you. So throughout this weekend, we're going to learn that believing what is really true is what will truly happy you. Okay, say it with me. I know it's a little corny, but we're going to do it anyway. Believing what is really true is what will truly happy you. That's truth. Believing what is really true is what will truly happy you. Now, it seems a little corny and a little silly, but those are the things you remember. Who remembers like the pop, pop, fizz, fizz, odor, relief? Okay, you remember those things, okay? So this is true, and I want you to remember it, so I put it in a catchphrase. Believing what is really true is what will truly happy you. We're going to hear that over and over and over this weekend. Okay, now I want to tell you where this is all coming from. So I'm going to cue you in a little bit on my story. So the last several years, I've struggled greatly with discontentment. In fact, we were in a meeting the other day, um, my coworkers and I, and we had to give, like, the word of the day. And my coworker, Kate, said, yeah, I'm, I'm content. And I said, Really? Because I'm hardly ever content. so I'm mostly discontented. And so it made me realize that, yeah, I've lived my life and allowed myself to be discontented. But I needed to know why I was so discontented. So the last several years, I've struggled greatly with discontentment. Our oldest son and his wife moved to China. Um, my dog died. My rebound dog was naughty and is still naughty. Uh, keep that detail in mind. It's going to give you some insight into my future the future of this session. Um, Our youngest child graduated, and my husband and I became empty nesters. My job job responsibilities were confusing. Um, My marriage was struggling, and I was experiencing social anxiety that I could not shake. All these things combined made me feel mad at God and uncomfortable in my new life. I was transitioning. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I felt like a teenager trying to figure out who I was in the midst of my many transitions. So I tried everything to get happy again. Uh, I started working on my master's degree. I read hard books, I read easy books. I spent less time with friends and more contemplative time alone. I asked my husband to be more attentive. (laughs) I bought a cool car. I stopped agreeing to any public speaking because it made me really nervous. I envy people who are confident and successful. I stopped working out and started relaxing more. I took a month off work to refocus. I spoke my mind. I felt sorry for myself. I complained about everything. Are you like me? Are you saying, now this will age me, like Mick Jagger? (laughs) I can't get no satisfaction. But I try and I try and I try. Satan would love to keep you and me in that spot of dissatisfaction, but we're going to teach you a better way. So recently, God intervened slowly, but surely he got my attention and started teaching me about what truly satisfies, and it's not hashtag Snickers. You guys get that? You get that? Because on the Snickers bar, it says satisfies. Okay. Okay. I should have brought one. Snickers satisfies, okay. And it's not Snickers. It's not Snickers. Occasionally it's Snickers, but mostly not, okay? (laughs) You'll notice that not all those things I listed are bad. Not all of them are bad. They're very me-focused, but they're not all bad. In fact, some of them are very good if done with the correct motivation. But here's the kicker. I was believing I could find satisfaction in those things, those achievements, those freedoms those relationships, but that was not true. Oswald Chambers, he's a big hero of mine. He writes this little, he wrote a little book called um, My Atmosphere's First Highest. Read it. It's fantastic. Um, Oswald Chambers says, if you try to satisfy yourself with a blessing from God, it will corrupt you. Let me say that again. If you try to satisfy yourself with a blessing from God, it will corrupt you. What God really taught me was this. I can only live a deeply satisfying life by pursuing not the things I myself can achieve but instead pursuing the true things that have already been accomplished for me in Jesus. And I can only ruminate upon these truths by pushing away from my own desires and into God's desires. I do this by concentrating on God and his kingdom Instead of on myself. So here's what I want to teach you this weekend. There is such a thing as real truth. Our society will say that's not true. It's true. There is such a thing as real truth. God's honest truth. And believing what is really true is what will truly happy you. This weekend I want to teach you some really true things that God taught me about myself. And about himself. And guys, I'm still a work in progress. I haven't gotten there yet but I'm taking one step at a time, and I'm going to help you do the same thing. Okay, so you're going to hear me say a lot of true, truth, that's not true, because I want to tell you there's truth and there's lies. We're going to learn all about what truth is so you can see what is not true. All right? Everybody give me an amen? Amen. An amen. Okay, so you'll, you'll learn that I do things in threes, okay? So tonight, tomorrow, we're going to learn some things that are, are really true. God's the boss. You're lavishly loved by him. Every single one of you. And he is much more than you can ever imagine. All right. I'm going to pray a prayer for you before I start our first session about who's the boss. And there's a really great book called Valley of Vision that sometimes if I feel like I don't know what to pray, these are old prayers. And these are um, like Puritan prayers. And so sometimes I'll just go and I'll read this out loud to God. And so as I was doing that the other day, I realized this prayer was so appropriate for our weekend. And so I'm going to read this Puritan prayer out loud, and it's going to be our prayer to God for the evening. All right, so bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm going to read this prayer to you. Oh, Lord, help me never to expect my happiness from the world, but only in thee. Let me not think that I shall be more happy by living to myself. For I can only be happy if employed for thee, and if I desire to live in this world, only to do and suffer what thou dost allot me. Teach me that if I do not live a life that satisfies thee, I shall not live a life that will satisfy myself. Help me not to think of living to thee in my own strength, but always to look to and rely on thee for assistance. Teach me that there is no greater truth than this that I can do nothing. Of myself. How precious is time and how painful to see it fly with little done to good purpose. I need thy help. Oh, may my soul sensibly depend upon thee for all sanctification and every accomplishment of thy purposes for me, for the world, and for thy kingdom. Amen. Amen. All right. Here is what we're going to talk about first. Who's the boss? Whose truth do I believe? Hashtag, who's the boss? I expect you all to be using hashtags after tonight. Okay? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. You can try, you know. Do it once. See what happens. Okay, so we're going to talk about who's the boss? Whose truth do I believe? So before we can achieve deep satisfaction in life, we have to decide whose truth to believe. To do that, we have to determine who's the boss. In essence, the reason I struggled with dissatisfaction in the last few years is because I wasn't really sure who I wanted to be boss of my life. If I was boss of my life, then I could believe what I felt and what I saw happening in the world and what the world was telling me was good. But if I chose God to be the boss, then I had to believe that what he said was actually truth, regardless of my feelings. So, we all have God's honest truth available to us, okay? It's in your Bible. I hope you all brought yours. It's in your Bible. It's in nature. If our curtains were open, we could see. We can, I can see. Um, I want you to go out tonight, and it's going to be probably dark when you get out there, but I want you to look at the stars. and I want you to see, like, God's revealed revelation to everyone. It's his common grace. It's not just to you as believers. He reveals himself in nature. Um, So you you see it in the Bible, God's honest truth is seen in nature, God's honest truth is seen in the church. And every one of you, we're parts of the body. So when we are here together, we're acting as parts of the body. When you're in your local church, you're acting as parts of the body. That's God's body revealing itself to the world. So there are lots of ways we're seeing God's honest truth. Um, I want to Yeah, if you have your Bibles, make sure you, we're going to use it tonight a little bit and um, make sure you bring it to the next two sessions because we're going to be studying Ephesians and we're going to be studying Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is a great one for looking at the sky, so look that up tonight because it will amaze you. Um, But tonight, I'm going to set the stage for you um, so you two can decide who's the boss. You're not the boss of me. You've heard it said. You've said it. We've all said it. In fact, all of us say it every day. Who's the boss of your life? When I made the decision on who was boss finally, it made everything so much clearer. You know, there's there's great simplicity and servitude. Knowing who's the boss and who's underneath, there's just knowing the roles simplifies life. Um, When... You know, this idea of who's the boss and being kind of set apart, it goes back to the Old Testament. I mean, it goes back to the beginning of time, but it goes back to the Old Testament when God wanted to set aside a people all of his own, a people that looked different than the rest of the world. He wanted to say, these are my people. They live by my design. They are peculiar. They're different than the rest of the world because I'm their boss. So the idea goes way back to the beginning of time, way back to the beginning of the Bible. Three big ideas for you tonight. Number one, when did God become the boss of me? Number two, why should I surrender to the boss of me? And number three, how do I surrender to the boss of me? So when, why, how? Three big ideas. So let's start with when. When did God become the boss of me? Okay, I've asked some wonderful women from Stonebridge to come up and read some scripture for me because I really like to start out the evening with scripture because God says that his word is good for teaching, for reproof, for correction and righteousness. Oh, is this already on? No, this is not on. And so we're going to do that. We're going to teach you with God's word. Um, If I can figure out how to, there we go. All right. Just wait, though, okay? Okay, so we're going to have these guys read. I'm going to talk to you, and they're going to read. And this way, we'll just get the Word of God kind of floating around the room because the Word of God is powerful and effective, and it never returns void. So if you're ever at a point where you just say, uh, I'm at a point my life I don't know what to do, then you go read the Word of God because it does something when you read it. All right, so let's start with when... Did God become the boss of me? Let's go back to the beginning. Okay. God gave everything we could ever need. And in Genesis 2, it says,
2: Adam and Eve, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the, lo- then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God had made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil.
0: Excellent. So the creator of a thing gets to be in charge. But guess what? We messed up. We blundered by deciding we knew better.
1: Let's read about Genesis 3. The fall. The fall.
0: By deciding, we knew better than God. So God had to set boundaries. He had to give us rules so we wouldn't think we were all that. Exodus 20 gives us uh, the Ten Commandments, and we're just going to read an abbreviated version of those right here.
3: And God spoke all these words. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet.
0: So why do we need rules? Well, in Proverbs 29, it says where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. We need revelation from God. We need limits to be free from ourselves. We aren't meant to be in charge. We need rules to show us we need a Savior. In fact, I thought this was interesting. In in Galatians 3.24, the New English Translation, I think it is, N-E-T, says, Thus the law had become our guardian until Christ, until Christ, remember that, so that we could be declared righteous by faith. Some versions use like tutor, but I really liked the guardian, protect, protecting. We needed something to protect us from certain destruction. The law triggered a realization of the inadequacy of our own efforts. Those, so these rules show that we can't be good enough, and they also show us that we need a Savior. Christ made a way for us. Jesus had to come achieve our salvation for us, and God ordained that before the beginning of time. So we need these rules to show us that living by God's design works better and that we can't do it on our own. So I'm going to stop here. If you're here tonight and you think you have to be good enough to be right with God, that's not true. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's true. How many sins did it take you to separate from God? only one. Who's committed more than one sin? All of us. But Romans six twenty three says, for the wages of sin is death. We're all destined to death and separation from God. But, but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. So if you're here tonight thinking, I got to clean myself up. I got to be good enough for Jesus. That's not true. Jesus came, lived perfectly in your place so that you could receive his free gift. It's a gift that he's offering you. That's why God gets to be the boss. He gets to be the boss. And that's what we call the gospel, the good news. So if that's confusing to you or it's a new idea, come talk to me. And I'm going to tell you all about this free gift in Jesus. Okay, we're going to go into our second idea. Why should I surrender to the boss of me? why should I surrender to the boss of me? Okay, yeah, he's boss, but why should I give up? Why should I surrender to him? Well, number one, he's bigger. We create our God in our own image and we make him small. He's not small. He's huge. Even the voice of the Lord is huge. Psalm 29 talks about the voice of the Lord.
1: The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders, the Lord thunders over the mighty waters, the voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is majestic, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, the Lord breaks and pieces the cedars of Lebanon, he makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox, the voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning, the voice of the Lord shakes the desert, and the voice shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. Even the voice of the Lord is huge. And by our third session, you are going to be
0: amazed how small you've made God and how actually huge he is. So we should surrender to the boss because he is bigger, because he bids it. You know, he gave us free will, and he didn't make us robots that would come directly to him. He gave us the option. So he bids it, and he woos us with cords of loving kindness, and he encourages us, and he requests us to do things, but he never forces us. But when we read in, the, we read in Matthew, Matthew 16, that we should show other people that he's our boss by doing what?
4: Denying self. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me.
0: So if we want to be surrendered to our boss, we must deny ourselves. We're going to talk a lot about denying ourselves this weekend. That identifies us as Christ followers when we deny ourselves. Okay, we should also, thirdly, we should... Surrender to the boss of us because it's what's best for us. It's what's best for us. Father knows best. Who also remembers that show? Good. Okay. Father knows best. Say it with me. Father knows best. best. Excellent. There's a natural progression to God's authority structure. Okay. There's God, man, women, animals. Okay. Speaking of animals, can I just stop here and go on a tangent? Just a little one. Okay. Okay. Just a little tangent. It's a planned tangent, it's okay. Don't get nervous, girls. Okay, so, you know, I talked about my dog. His name is Jet. Um, and I mean, then he use him here as an illustration. So I'm not so unlike my dog, I've learned. Um, my dog thinks he is the boss. He thinks he's the boss of me. Um, I have to tell him several times, not as much anymore because he's getting older, but still sometimes you are not you are not the alpha. I am the alpha because he thinks he's the alpha dog. So these lessons have been really kind of enlightening through my dog to my brain from God. And so Jed thinks the way to comfort is free and freedom is, is to, for him to be the boss, for him to run all over the place, for him to grab socks off the ground and rip them to shreds. That is not the way for him to have comfort and freedom. It's best for me to be in dominion over him because he doesn't have a very big brain. And so if I can be the boss over him, I can show him a better way. And it's hard for me. He has a shock collar. I'm sorry for all those people in here who don't like shock collars, okay? Don't turn me in, okay? It's okay. It's humane. Okay, so he has a shock collar. And so sometimes when he's doing naughty things, I normally just beep him. But sometimes he's doing really naughty things. I have to shock him to show him that's the wrong thing to do. Okay, so it's kind of, it's hard for me to see him struggle, but I know it'll make him a better dog. So it helps him to learn lessons. So as I was contemplating these things, he's now going to be four. He's still naughty. He's better. But I did switch out his bowl the other day, and it smelled different, so he showed me he didn't like, and he pulled it out of his his mouth, and he dumped all the food on the floor. That's the kind of dog he is. Um, Okay, so... As I was contemplating these things, I was kind of at my wits end several years ago with this puppy that thought he was a big dog and he thought he was the boss. So I got online and I found Doggy Dan. He's an online dog trainer. Doggy Dan. Okay, so God actually taught me through Doggy Dan. So I'm going to teach you these things that I learned several years ago through Doggy Dan because they're super insightful. Okay, number one. Let's go to our next slide. Yep. Number one, feeding. Okay, the dog needs to know that you're in control of the food and will give it when he needs it. The dog needs to know that you're in control of the food and will give it when he needs it. How does that relate to us? Well, it really relates to us. Psalm 145 said he gives them that he gives us our food at the proper time. God has promised to provide not only our actual food, but everything for us. Everything else we need. He is he can meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. So we're not supposed to worry about the things we need since he says in Matthew 6.
4: Yes, Don't
0: worry. Don't worry. What else does he say? 25 through 34.
4: Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, what about your body or what you wear. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothes? Close the grass of the field which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall I eat, or what should I drink, or what should I wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Hashtag
0: truth. So if we could see our future clearly and where each and every situation would take us, we wouldn't need to trust God. And we wouldn't need to make him the boss. Do you ever wonder why you can't see really far ahead? He kind of gives you this headlamp instead of the floodlight. Because he doesn't want you to see so far ahead. He wants you to trust him day by day, step by step. Okay, second rule. Danger. Danger. Always remain calm and relaxed, and let your dog know that you will pr- protect him in the event of danger. This way your dog will learn to trust your judgment and not his own. Do you know that nothing takes God by surprise? Nothing takes God by surprise. He's in charge of everything. First Peter says,
1: "Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fury, fiery fiery." Or, fiery Ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed.
0: Don't think that when something happens to you that it's taking God by surprise or that it's strange. You know that you will have hard times and suffering in this life. It's not easy, but it's something that's guaranteed. Know that God is in control of that. Here's a really, great, uh, a really great quote for you to remember. I say this to myself a lot. It's from Charles Spurgeon. God is too good to be unkind, and he's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. God is too good to be unkind, and he's too wise to be mistaken. So we can, when we cannot trust His hand, trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Trust God's heart character. Okay, rule number three, everything on your terms. You should initiate everything. Watch out for attention-getting or space-invading behaviors. My dog has trouble with this. My dog wants to be the center of attention. You know what? I want to be the center of attention. I do a lot of stealing glory from God. I do a lot of things of putting other things in God's space. Either it's my kids or my job or my hobbies or my ego or my accomplishments. I do a lot of taking God off and putting other things in his place. That's stealing his glory. So we need to watch out for those attention-getting or space-invading behaviors that we have. Isaiah
3: 46.9 says, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me.
1: Amen. Psalm 115 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him.
0: All right. Our God's in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. You know, we get in trouble when we try to draw attention to ourselves instead of to God. We do that a lot. We make a, our ambition instead of God's purposes our primary driver. And we need to keep our eyes off ourselves and on our creator. Um, my daughter Tess is here. And... Um, we were, I'm going to talk about this in our next session, but we one time hiked this trail, this um, pilgrimage called the Camino de Santiago. So we were hiking one day. Tess was a little dehydrated. She was getting sunburned on her arm so bad. It was like blistering. And so my husband reached over to her and said, Tess, I need to cover you up and you need to drink some water. Tess pulled away. She was a little bit crazy because she's dehydrated. She said, I do what I want. So that's also become a phrase in our house. I do what I want. You know that when you do what you want, you stifle God's spirit. Okay? So when you do what you want, you stifle the spirit of God in you. And it becomes quieter and quieter and quieter. And that voice that used to be still and small is non existent. So when you do what you want instead of what God wants, you stifle the spirit. God wants to be the boss. So whose glory are you going for? You going for His? Are you going for yours? Every choice you make is a choice to either spotlight God or yourself. So most of my learning to follow Jesus is learning to unfollow me, myself. Most of my learning to follow Jesus is learning to unfollow myself. Okay, our last rule, the walk. Do not move until the lead is loose and your dog is calm. If if I ever did that, actually, I'd never walk because (laughs) the dog hasn't learned that yet. If your dog is pulling you, turn around. Hmm, think about that a little bit. Do not move until the lead is loose and your dog is calm. If your dog is pulling you, turn around. That was was also insightful for me because God will choose to accomplish his purposes in spite of us. Um, If we're not listening to him, he'll do his purposes. Think of Abraham and Sarah. I mean, God said, hey, you're going to have a baby. He did wait 25 years to fulfill that. But they moved ahead, and then they had Ishmael to deal with. Okay, so they decided to try to accomplish God's purposes. Bad idea. We must remain calm and trust to accomplish God's tasks. Okay, so when my dog walks, he's like this. You know, he cannot breathe because he pulls so hard on the, the leash that he cuts off his air supply. Remember that. When you're pulling so hard on your own ambition in your own way and your own schedule, you're cutting off your spirit supply. So don't Tug so hard on the leash, you're only hurting yourself. Be calm, let God lead, walk at his side. Psalm 131, is uh, verse 2, is so key to remember to do this. Um, Andrea, you have that.
2: My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters of things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a wean child with its mother, like a wean child, I am content. Like a wean
0: child. This is like a at that time it would be like a a 4 or 5-year-old child just walking very trustingly beside their mother. And that's how we should be. We should walk trustingly. We should be a wean child beside our father. Okay, Stonebridge girls, thank you very much. You can be seated. You guys give me a hand. Excellent. All right, I, I don't really have a, I guess I have a watch. Um, okay, so we're going to go on to our third rule. How do I surrender? That's all good. It's great. He's the boss. Okay, why should I surrender? These are the root, these are why. These are the things we should surrender because we're like animals and we, our minds are finite and God's is infinite and he knows a lot better and his, our minds are very, very tiny compared to his. So those are the reasons why we should surrender. But gals, this is hard. It's hard. This is all hard. So how do we surrender? How? How do I surrender the boss of me? Well, number one, you got to wage war against yourself and your natural inclinations. You got to wage war against self-focus. You have self-focus, you have Christ-focus. You've got to get more focused on Christ on it's, Christ it's here's the truth it's really really hard so we think of ourselves too much and too often and we need to think about God that's just God's honest truth he says come to me and I will give you rest come to me and I'll give you rest that's Matthew 11 20. come to me and I'll give you rest we all want rest we all want rest so, how do we wage war? Number one, you, you've got to be humble. You've got to know who you are and who God is. This comes from understanding the true gospel. You don't deserve what you've got from God. You don't deserve all that God has given you. Christ has purchased your redemption through his own perfect blood. Philippians 2 is a great example. I didn't want to go through, we've done a lot of scripture. I didn't want to keep making you flip through your Bibles, but Philippians 2. Christ puts himself in a a posture of humility. He shows us that even though he came from heaven into a dark place like our world and confined himself to skin and became a baby that was helpless, confined himself to time and space, he did all that so he could redeem you. That understanding of the gospel, that it's not about you, that it's all about God, it's all about what Christ has done for you, That will help you wage war against self-focus. So remember, be humble. There's a really fantastic little book called Humility. It's by Andrew Murray. I think it's like it's old and it's just probably 85 pages. And he said something very, very key. So I'm going to read this to you. It's from Andrew Murray. The call to humility has been too little regarded in the church because its true nature and importance has been too little apprehended. It is not something which we bring to God or he bestows. It's simply the sense of entire nothingness, which comes when we see how truly God is all and in which we make way for God to be all. When the creature realizes that this is the true nobility, and consents to be with his will, his mind, and his affections, the form, the vessel in which the life and the glory of God are to work and manifest themselves, he sees that humility is simply acknowledging the truth of his position as creature and yielding to God his place. That's truth. All right, we're going to go, you know what, let's skip the cross chart because I'm going to let yeah that's that's a really good thing where we want to talk about it but I don't want to keep you guys in here all night so I want to move through my notes okay so we wage war by being humble um that's coming we're not going to do that right now you can turn that off or go back to go back to the cross chart and they can look at it that's great cross chart just I was going to explain it but as you grow in awareness of God's holiness he becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and you, you're aware of how undeserving you are of his love and forgiveness and grace. So God becomes bigger, and you become much more aware of your uh, station. And so that's the cross chart. You can leave that up there. Leave that up there. Okay, so to wage war, we have to be humble. We have to be connected. You know, I meet with women all the time. I can tell you within the first five minutes whether they are self-focused or Christ-focused. And a lot of those women who are self-focused, they're not connected to the body. To be humble and to wage war against yourself, you have to be connected to the body. We need to be around the body of Christ to watch, to interact, to be convicted by the body. We need to believe the metaphors we read about the body working together as a whole. You can't be everything, but you can be a part. And you can do that part well, and you can let the other gal do her part well, and you can let the whole church build up and show... The body of Christ. And that's how you wage war against individualism. That's how you wage war against self-focus, by being part of the body, by being humble, by being part of the body, by being connected. You know John 15 talks all about abiding in Christ, abiding in Christ. One of the ways to abide in Christ is to be part of your local body, to be part of things like this. Who here has been, like, did you guys have storms recently? We had some storms, and there are like, branches on the ground, and there's, like, pieces of plants laying all around. So what happens to those branches and those, like, leaves that fall on the ground? They keep on living? They don't. They die. Because when you're not attached to the vine, the body of Christ, Jesus himself, your life flows away. You don't have life anymore. You need to stay attached to the body. You need to abide in Christ. You need to be part of your local church because that will fight off, that will wage war against self. Okay, the the other way that we need to uh, can we go back to our how do I surrender the boss to me? Can we go back to that? Another way you surrender to the <laughs> that's an activity. Another way that you surrender the boss uh, to. The boss of you is to walk in obedience. That's great. That's great. You walk in obedience, you're teachable. Don't get stuck. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. Um, Don't get stuck in your own habits. Operating on your own common sense and according to your own emotions is what we think will bring true satisfaction. You think that's true? No. Don't operate on your own common sense and your own emotions. Feelings are great liars. They lie. Your feelings often do not tell you the truth. So read your Bible. The way to walk in obedience is step by step, day by day. Read your Bible. Young moms, I understand. I understand you're not going to sit down and read a whole passage, a whole book, okay? You can read a verse. You can sing a scripture song to your kids when they're in the car. You can read them part of Ephesians while they're in the bathtub. So I understand, sometimes we don't get these huge chunks of time, but we can read our Bibles, okay? So read your Bible, let it convict you, listen to what your pastors are saying. If you're listening to social media and letting it tell you who you are and who's boss, that's not going to be true. The other day I was trying to take a nap, and we have a Roomba. Who knows what a Roomba is? Well, the Roomba kept telling me, please charge Roomba please charge Roomba. Well, I didn't want to charge Roomba because I was sleeping. So, I just got up and I turned the fan on in my bathroom and I shut my door. And I ignored Roomba. And you know what? That's funny, but we do that to God. He convicts us in the Word. We'll go to a church service and He'll, oh, be so convicted by the sermon. We walk out that threshold. We stop listening. So let those things convict you and do not ignore them by shutting them out. Let God convict you through His Word and through the body. Walk in obedience. Get wise counsel. Read good books. Who sings this song to their kids? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see. It goes on to ears, it goes on to mind, it goes on to hands, it goes on to feet. You know, we sing that to our kids, but we're pretty flippant with what we allow our eyes to see. And we're pretty lax with what we listen to. We can't walk in obedience unless we know what truth is. So make sure you're listening and looking and ruminating on true things walking in obedience is walking gals it's walking it's not fast it's not flashy we don't call it a spiritual run we call it a spiritual walk one step at a time one day at a time doing the next right thing and the next right thing and making the next right decision so you're obedient by thinking how you're thinking by thinking about how you're thinking that's how you walk in obedience So you can't think about how you're thinking if you're always listening to something or watching something. You think about how you're thinking by letting it be still and quiet. Think about how you're thinking. Create a grid. Create a a mesh in your mind where if something comes in, you have to say like, hmm, is that like God? Does that make me focus on God more? Does that allow me to worship or does that make me think worldly thoughts? Think about how you're thinking. Don't just go on autopilot. We go on autopilot. We just cruise. Don't do that. Think about how you're thinking. Capture the thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. Using a transformed mind and denying what your natural self says is the way to happy you. It's the way to happy you. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. So create this grid so you can demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, okay? Capture every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Okay, you can put that activity thing up. That's not something we're going to do tonight, but I want to I introduce you to it because I want you to do it on your own, and you're going to do this maybe in your small groups, okay? So I say we have these markers. So We all have markers in our lives that show us if we're letting God be boss or if we're being boss. Okay, so if my marker, turn to your page in your booklet where it has that. We're not going to do it now. Okay, if my marker, for me, the way that I react to fear shows if I am being boss or if God is the boss. Okay, so if when I'm the boss, uh, I can't sleep, there's a lot of activity, I'll do a lot of searches on Google. Um, Everything has to be when I had little kids. You know, all the variables had to be in order. Like, they never ate anything they could choke on when I left. They always ate, like, applesauce, mac and cheese, yogurt, never grapes, never hot dogs. You know? So, when I am the boss, everything has to be under my control. Stressful, I feel very scattered, and I'm really concerned about what other people think of me. That's fear for me. But, once I realize I'm in that, marker that's showing me where my mind is going then I can say no 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 God help me let you be boss again because when God is boss then I have a much more like oh God's sovereign I'm going to trust in God calm relaxed pace I can sleep I don't go over things in my head I don't play the what if games and I can just release my kids to be kids and do things that kids do I can enjoy spontaneity. Everything doesn't have to be planned. Okay, so that's an example. Tonight, tomorrow morning, whenever. I want you to do that. That'll key you in on how you think when you're the boss and how you should think when God's the boss. Do you understand what you're supposed to do? Okay. I wanted to show you that so you could do it on your own time. I didn't want to do it in here. But, yeah, if you you don't know, And it's different different life stages will bring out different things. If you don't know, pray, God, show me what marks when I am the boss and show me what markers show that you're the boss. So that will make you think about how you're thinking and how you're reacting. Okay, so that's your assignment. That's your assignment to do before we meet again. So if you follow the, here Tim Keller says, if you follow the pathway of your fear back to your heart, you discover the things that you love more than God. Okay? You discover the things that you love more than God. Hang in there. Remember I told you to be longer tonight? We're almost done. Okay, so figure out your markers. Figure those out tonight. Tomorrow morning, come back, and we're going to talk about those a little bit. So, practically, this is all great. Theoretically, this is all fantastic. But it's really hard. And how do I not worry? How do I give up control? It's very, very hard to put the rubber to the road when you walk out the door. My mind agrees, but my heart doubts. Sometimes we just have to wait. We just have to wait on God. We have to wait because sanctification takes a really long time. Way, way longer than we would like. But it's real, and it's part of the path of the righteous. It's not flashy. It's very ordinary, but it takes a really long time. So we see this struggle in David in Psalm 42. He doesn't know what to do. He sees his marker. He sees his emotion bringing him down to the depths and he says, God, why why is this happening? He turns to himself, then he turns to God, and he waits. And so I think that Matt Chandler, I found a video, I think Matt Chandler um, explains it best in this video. And so we're going to watch the video, talks about waiting on God, because the things I told you, they're hard. The things I told you are true, doesn't mean they're easy. So we're gonna watch this video to teach us how wait on God, then I think we're going to worship some more, and we're going to be done for the night. Sometimes when I want to make a new friend, I'll say, come walk with me. So thanks for joining us today on this walking and talking journey as we walk together and strive to keep in step with